welcome to Chatty AF, the Anime Feminist Podcast. Uh, my name is Vry. I'm an editor and contributor at Anime Feminist. Uh, my pronouns are they and them. You can find all the stuff that I do on my Twitter, at WriterVry, or you can see the other podcast I co-host at TrashPod. And with me today are two other AnimeFem staff members, Dee and Chiaki. Hi, uh, I'm Chiaki Hirai. I am a freelance writer and editor for Anime Feminist. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the weebiest, uh, weebiest empress or Chiaki747. One's public, one's private, and neither have anything sensible to say. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm Dee. I'm the managing editor at Anifem. Uh, you can find all my writings on my blog, The Jose Next Door, and you can also hang out with me on Twitter at Jose Next Door. Yay! And we have brought this brain trust together today to talk about Shimanami Tasagare, which was uh, localized in English as Our Dreams at Dusk. It was a seinen manga by Yuki Kamatani that ran from 2015 to 2018. It's a slice-of-life series about uh, a group of LGBTQ uh, individuals who come together and sort of work through some of their shit at this shared drop-in center. And it's a lot. It's emotionally a lot. Uh, I think one of the, the most, well, one thing that's really interesting to establish before we go forward is that this is, we've been getting a lot of cool own voices type essay manga, like uh, My Lesbian Experience with Loneliness or The Bride Was a Boy, but this is one of the most prominent examples of like own voices fiction manga that we've gotten in English because uh, Kamatani is ex-gender and asexual. And I feel like that really makes a difference in how this story is able to reach in and gently, just gently squeeze your heart and crush it. Yeah, it's, uh, I think at the end of every volume, I felt like I needed to lay down for a couple of days, um, but it's really, mm -hmm. really well done. So it's kind of like a content considerations for folks at home, because it will absolutely hit um, in some very raw, real places, um, but it's really well done, and I think at the end of the day, it, it, it moves into a hopeful place. Would you guys agree with mm -hmm. that? Like, I think at the end no. of the day, yeah. as a series looking to give people hope in spite of the, you know, um, problems that a lot of queer folks have in both Japan and abroad um, with, like, social um, issues and misunderstandings and whatnot. Um, but I think at the end, it is it is an optimistic series, and that goes a long way. Uh, yeah, it's it doesn't feel as much like an educational manga as some. Like, this feels more like it's about as much about venting um and like but also something that you know a like a, a cis or a straight reader could learn something from but it, it feels like it's more for doesn't this shit suck which like can be rough to read but it is ultimately about how these characters kind of come out of it and are stronger for it through their connections to each other yeah i think it's really a story about personal growth and kind of learning from mistakes or you know, the acts of others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. And I, I really like how it, it feels like it's written, because as much as I really liked uh, The Bride Was a Boy, I think it's a, I think it's a wonderful little one-shot. It feels like it's very much written to explain things to a cis audience, and that is useful. 
Um, mm-hmm. But Shimanami feels more like it is written for the queer community at large um, in a way that is really unique and uh, fascinating to me, especially the way it touches on how different portions of the queer community can have misunderstandings about other portions of the community, um, mm-hmm. especially like Tosku trying to understand what trans people are like or asexual people um, as mm-hmm. the story continues. And I, I think that lends an authenticity to it that is that is really nice to see yeah it is maybe one of the only works that i've read in manga or in general that is kind of about like those intercommunity tensions in like a way that feels both real and but not like it's saying and this other part of the community sucks and they're making life harder for us yeah not at all like it's very Uh sympathetic and uh i think accepting of everybody and it's more about like how do we um communicate and understand each other and you know not not accidentally or intentionally push each other away just kind of speaking to how i kind of came across the story i think it was with you rye or rachel i can't remember who who mentioned it first but it was during the wandering sun retrospective yeah rachel mentioned it way back when we did wandering sun because it was still that was early 2017 so it was like into the later part of its run and hadn't been licensed yet yeah but you know at the time, like I'm, what I'm really happy about having read this series is the fact that it's something that's grown beyond what I I've come to expect with like mm-hmm. Wandering Sun. Like I love Wandering Sun, but then I realized, but there's some major improvements that could be made, and I feel um, our dreams at dusk really makes those improvements, those things that I was looking for in a story that has queer rep. Yeah, like, Wandering Sun hits hard in places, but it's also written by a cis author who didn't do research until pretty late in the series and really did the trans mask character dirty, and it's aged poorly in a lot of ways. Yeah. So it's it's nice to have more modern stuff like this that kind of, like, takes, that kind of can step in for a series that I think a lot of us needed at the time, but maybe doesn't hold up so well. Yeah. Yeah, right. You've talked a lot about how um, I don't know if this is if this is the flow of the podcast that we want, but I know you've talked a lot about how it's really hard to find trans mask characters, and uh, it's there really is um, Utsumi in this one. So how how, mm-hmm. how did you feel about about him? Um, Utsumi's arc was definitely the the roughest, by which I mean like the most personal for me to read. I really liked like he's not his experience isn't necessarily mine, where he's like he's the type of trans dude, uh, you know, like type character who he passes most of the time and he just kind of wants to live his life. And like, he he's supportive of the other folks at the drop-in center, but he doesn't really want to, to take the, the emotional energy to be like constantly explaining things to people. And like, that's perfectly valid, but like personally, it's not, it's not how I approach my identity at all or really have had the luxury to approach my identity but a lot of his arc with with his old high school friend was just painfully real for me because like I had a maybe one of my closest childhood friends that I kind of stopped talking to over the last year or so because like she, she would talk about just being really supportive and how much she cared about me and would just refuse to stop using my dead name because uh, like it was just easier for her that that's just the name that she knows 
and like stuff like like I think the stuff this manga gets into about how well-meaning people who say hurtful things and feel like the fact that they're trying is good enough is some of the the most pointed like effective parts and like overall Utsumi is great I support him (laughs) (laughs) yeah Chiaki in our in our kind of private chat you were talking about Oyama as a character um did you want to expand on on her a little bit here because I know you were like who's the worst character is it Oyama yes it is yes because (laughs) I mean the, the entire time she is there she she exudes this sense of I'm, I want to be respectful and I want to be helpful, but it's more for her own, um, gosh, what's the word? Um, uh, own personal f- fulfillment. Mm-hmm. And, rather it's kind than, of virtue signaling a little bit, right? Yeah. Like she's mm-hmm. really working hard to show how open-minded and accepting she is, even though she continues to dead name Utsumi like the entire time she's in the story. Mm-hmm. It's it's definitely like the concept of no actually listen to the people being affected not like try to be don't try to talk over um uh trans people I think it's like the biggest lesson here yeah mm-hmm. yeah well and and she's specifically talking uh her, her she has that additional element of well I support him so much because this is this is a disease it's something they can't help it's not like a, a cho- an orientation like the homosexuals yeah oh Jesus Christ I just my skeleton oh. climbed out the back of my body and fled across the country <laughs> during some of her chapters it was so painful uh-huh. um, yeah it had intense midwest energy those chapters yeah like I've... the, the cross cultural I've talked before on this podcast about how um, when people talk about, oh, like the way like Japan and being indirect and polite is so foreign to Americans. And I'm like, have you been to the Midwest? Because it's it's really not that hard to like I, I ping pretty hard with that as well. So I'm with you on that one, Bri. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that one. And I find I found Misora's uh, arc really interesting and a little bit frust- like. That one's a little bit hard to read in one or two places, but uh, and Misora is the sixth grade kid who um, comes to the drop-in center to dress up uh, in dresses and, and present female, but isn't sure that he wants to live as female full-time. He doesn't, like, I, we, I, I don't know. I'm not sure whether we're supposed to read him as, like, ex-gender or just he's very young and he's still kind of scared and and interfacing with these issues i don't know chiaki what did what have you got on that i felt um misora was pretty like into wanting to be a uh, at least femme presenting mm-hmm. um because um a lot of the t- when he, he wore the uh, kimono or the yukata he was absolutely mm-hmm. just enamored with how he looked the the big issue was that um he faces sort of the sexism women trans women face um mm-hmm. in a very blunt way um which scares which honestly scares him or well i mm-hmm. mean maybe her um yeah let's go with let's go with her, her? i guess her let's yeah go let's with go her. with go um so i felt she's definitely at least queer and you know definitely questioning her own identity 
and thinking, you know, and is feeling comfortable presenting as a woman, but then is scared uh, by the sexual harassment she receives. And that actually hit close to me because back when I was transitioning, when I was younger, um, definitely got, you know, started getting catcalled. And I was like, oh, that actually doesn't feel that great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, that scene with me, Sora, at the, um, at the fireworks show, um, mm-hmm. where she, yeah, we'll go with she, uh, mm-hmm. gets, I'm, I'm always hesitant, like, maybe they, cause Misora kind of fights, pushes back. I think they do a really nice thing yeah. with Misora and Subaki, where it's like, neither of them is sure, and that's okay. Like, not everybody, some people know, and not everybody knows. Like, it can take time to kind of figure out where mm-hmm. you fall on these spectrums. And I really mm-hmm. like that, uh, our James at Dusk takes some time with those characters and says, it's okay if you don't know. Like, take your time, explore, figure it out. Um, you'll get yeah. there. That's really nice. Um, sorry, that was a side point. No, um, it, it is no, really no. great. Like, it's good to bring up. Yeah. Um, but that, God, that moment where, uh, yeah, she gets groped and is just horrified. Um, I, I'm not a trans woman, but that pinged with me because, I mean, even growing mm-hmm. up, there were times when I would, I was never really into, like, feminine presentation. Like, I was more sort of androgynous, masculine, like, jeans and t-shirts type thing. And there were times mm-hmm. in high school where I would kind of start to lean into, like, well, maybe I want to try wearing a pretty dress or a skirt or something. And shit like that would, like, I mean, not, not thank God, not to the extent it happens to me sore. Like, that would be horrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like you said, like, you know, cat calls are leering and it's like, oh, just kidding. Never mind. I don't want any of this. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I, I felt that too. I thought that was, um, really good of Kamatani to bring up the, I think, I think she does, they, sorry, I guess Kam- Japanese pronouns Kam- are a little different, but I know Kamatani is ex-gender, so we should probably go with they on probably. the podcast, yeah, I, yeah. I think. I think the one translated interview with them uses they and i think maybe they in japanese avoid pronoun usage mm-hmm. which so. you can do so mm-hmm. um yeah i know that can be a little fuzzy coming over um but i'll go with they for kamatani um themselves um but i what was i talking about i like that they address the within the queer community they they also find ways to kind of touch on the sexism that comes about from presenting feminine in any kind of way like because Haruka and Saki are constantly getting pressured to be married you know to mm-hmm. men and have mm-hmm. children and things like that um so to see that with Misora I think it's um it's it's another one of those moments that kind of rips your heart out of your chest a little bit because you want Misora yeah. to feel to feel nice and have a nice time going out for the first time and like presenting feminine in public and then it just goes south so bad and Tosku does not know how to deal with it and he's trying but he just doesn't know um mm-hmm. yeah I think that scene is like the biggest exam like the moment where it really clicks that oh this manga isn't is really made for the people it's about because it never really explicitly spells out that Misora is is scared because she experiences like sexism and and social misogyny for the first time like that's that's the tension of the scene that's never quite spelled out and like it it scares her away from the drop-in center and from from wearing any kind of feminine presentation until like the end of the story yeah and Tosku sort of accidentally victim blames her which is uh-huh. real bad yeah and he does, again not on purpose but like I think the series does a good job of showing how easy it is to accidentally hurt people especially younger people who are still kind of working through all of this stuff I feel like the one weird note in the series is that like when they eventually make up Tosku's like I'm so sorry I was I was trying to help you, but I was making it about me. And he does this really great apology. And, sh- and Misora is like, 
well, thanks. I'm not going to apologize because I didn't do anything wrong, which is like on the whole really great. Like it's great for her like to be allowed to get mad at him and it's good to be mad once and you don't have to forgive people who are shitty to you. But also she does maliciously try to out him and calls him a bunch of slurs in public. That was bad. (laughs) Yeah, that was pretty bad. I feel like um, Misora especially is pretty immature. Like, uh, not just, you know, you can identify as a girl, but you're still a sixth grade kid. And I've said dumb, dumb shit when I was in sixth grade, fifth grade elementary school um, that at the time I would now I feel like, oh, no, I definitely should apologize for that. But like saying like oh yeah no i at that time i thought i was the right i was in the right because i was hurt um therefore i have the right to hurt back like that's a very juvenile oh, it's totally real yeah, yeah sora is extremely six middle school yeah that was my yeah. like the way they the way uh she lashes out at tasku and kind of they push each other's buttons it felt very much like an angry middle schooler just trying to needle everybody around them so that they will feel a little less insecure um, mm-hmm. And I do like that all of these characters, you know, in addition to dealing with various queer identities are also, I mean, as the series points out multiple times, like individual people who also are, you know, at particular points in their school lives or have different interests, like Tosca's mm-hmm. into UFOs. Um, there's these really nice little beats where you learn other stuff about them. So it's, so they, they feel like very fleshed out characters. And I think um, both Misora and Subaki lash out at people because they're confused and just kind of angry at everybody. Um, and I do like that the series allows the kids to do that and is a little bit more forgiving of them than it is of, say, Oyama, who is an adult and should fucking know better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's totally understandable. And I think Masora will grow up into like a perfectly good adult. I think why it twigged for me a little bit is just because that particular line is like it has a half page panel and it's like the the emotional healing closing moment for that story beat. And I'm like, yeah, OK, but. Like, narratively speaking, that was a dumb kid thing to do. Oh, whatever, we're moving on. <laughs> no, I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. I am astonished with um, with Tachibana how much... Because he's the, he's the homophobic closeted kid. Like, the, the home... Um, the, sorry, the Tachibana? Closet, uh, no, sorry. Uh, Tsubaki? Okay, because Tachi, ta- Tachibana's like their other friend who kind of hovers in and out of the story, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. And Tsubaki is the is the guy that Tasuku has a crush on. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I'm I'm astonished that Tsubaki, um, Tsubaki is the trope I hate most, which is the closeted homophobe, mm-hmm. and I do not hate him. <laughs> like it feels so naturally done. Like oh, this is a thing that has basis in reality before it became this get out of jail free card for straight people writing homophobia into their works, <laughs> and yeah. he is it. Yeah, I agree. I think, well, and I think it helps that he gets called the fuck out on it, right? Like, Mm -hmm. um, sorry, I apparently have a little bit of a potty mouth tonight. Um, It's my fault. I encourage this behavior in you. Yeah, I mean, I I I swear a lot. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But when, you know, when Tosku and Tsubaki kind of have that, um, that clash at the end of the third volume where he has been just progressively against kind of intentionally pushing buttons, kind of trying to get Tasku to admit things, and then just goes off um, on this very hateful speech at the end of that volume. 
and uh, can we talk real well the imagery in this series is so good so I hope we spend some time on that but there's the whole it's UFO beautiful. thing where Tosky like with Tosky like rips off the door of the UFO and just shouts at him like you have to stop talking like this I you this hurts me like I don't think maybe you don't realize that but this is very hurtful um and they have that scene where Tsubaki just like starts sobbing and yeah I think I agree with you it is a really good real honest um very nuanced take on what is an extremely tired trope yeah the image god I posted um a couple of panels on my on my twitter and just the way I think the closest example I would think uh I I could think of that English readers might know is uh is Ichikawa's work in Land of the Lustrous like Kamatani is so good at abstracting these intense emotional experiences into like this visceral almost beautiful kind of body horror almost in surreal imagery mm-hmm. oh absolutely mm. that's so good the uh the because like there's a lot of glass shattering in i think the and every volume kind of has a an, sort of a imagery theme to it which is pretty cool um the first time there's a lot of like glass and um like shards of light the second volume the fishbowl and like sort of the fishbowl is kind of like the safe space that you then have to exit and then the fish on the ground dying at the end god it's good mm-hmm. <laughs> um it's really because that's that's misora's volume right where misora like finally mm-hmm. tries to present feminine outside of the 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 safe space of the call-in center and and you have all this sort of fishbowl imagery throughout that volume and then the third volume you have the ufos that then transforms into the ships because then now they're not aliens to each other they're all kind of on the same boat together and trying to move forward together and it's it's just really well done um and it's the kind of thing i've read it twice at this point because i wanted to refresh myself before we did the podcast and Mm -hmm. um it's one of those things you appreciate more when you read it a second time and kind of can see those links it's really nice yeah yeah it's it's uh, I made it was a mistake for me to binge this series <laughs> like I bought it all to get ready for because I'd been putting off reading it until it was kind of done and then I I bought them all for the podcast and then I just kind of quietly laid in, on the floor for a while I, I feel like um readers at home in addition to just the general content stuff uh there's a lot of slurs in this manga like it, it is very real about that part of the experience <laughs> I think, so, and Chiaki, you read this in Japanese, right? Yeah, so I I have the four volumes in Japanese. So I'll probably be, like, not understanding some of the names you say at first, because there are differences, probably. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I, with the, someone's on, I imagine. Darika-san? Yeah, um, um, well, and so a kind of a question I had for you was, and I think I typically at this point, Seven Seas has earned my trust with their translations. Um, so I didn't um, ask too many questions with this one. But there are a couple of times where they drop the uh, the F-bomb and I don't mean fuck. Um, but for the most part, when they're talking, when characters are being kind of rude, um, they're using like homo instead, which is in English is like a slur, but it's much lower key than mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, one of yeah. those terms, I'm willing to repeat on this podcast. The other one, I'm not. <laughs> That's a sign. <laughs> right. Yeah. You, um, yeah, usually in the Japanese, a lot of it a lot of it is um, gay and homo that I've read. Uh, the, the other thing, though, is that um, the Japanese don't necessarily have a word as dirty as the F-bomb here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so... In the sense of maybe if there's a, you know, in, in a particularly, 
emotional and strong moment, I think it's a justified way, you know, word to use to kind of convey the the harshness of what the character is saying. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But having not read the English version, I don't know which, which instance exactly you're referring to. So I will absolutely give the English translation credit. They use the f bomb very, very sparingly. Like, because mm-hmm. I've seen, I've seen some, I've seen some illegal fan translations out there um, where it's constant. Um, some of the original uh, like screen caps I would see passed around on Twitter, like it was just it was this, they used like the harshest slur possible the entire time, and I don't think that's the sense that is given. I don't I don't think that's true to the context. Like I think most of the characters, it's a very casual kind of um, it's it's more microaggression, right? Yeah, like it's, which is it's which microaggression is what homo. o'clock. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, oh I, yeah, this series is heavy on the microaggressions. Like more. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but is constant throughout the series. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I'll agree there. Yeah, but there are a few places like when Misora is pissed at Tosku and they're at the festival and like because at first Misora is like throwing homo at him several times and then drops Mm -hmm. an F-bomb right at the end. Um, And that in the moment with as pissed off as Misora is, it felt true to the scene. Um, but I was kind of curious as to what the what the language was like in the original. And there's definitely moments in the in this where Tosku will be like, you know, that's kind of insulting and the other character will go okay so you would prefer gay that's the term you want um so so i yeah i have the i have the books next to me right now uh where misora is yelling at tasuku um typically it's uh they he uh she uses homo like Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. in in a sense like you homo bastard so definitely in that sense the f-bomb would probably fit as a succinct translation Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm Yeah, that was, again, I, I, at this point, because Seven Seas has done such a damn good job with a bunch of these other series, I tend to trust them. But this was definitely one where I was like, this would be nice to have the Japanese copies with me as well, so I could kind of just cross-check terminology and see, like, how they were uh, handling different contexts and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, my other question for you was, in the Japanese version, um, is uh, Dadaka-san, or someone-san, as as they are translated... um, do they ever are they ever used with like gender gendered terms? Do you know? Um, not exactly, but it feels um they're coded um female. Uh, what what? How is it translated in English? In English, there's a couple of moments in the first volume where the other characters um will kind of like I think Tosku refers to someone as a woman, and then throughout it's she her. Um, mm-hmm. But then and then. You have the the last volume where where uh, she has her big monologue about how you know about if you see me as a man that's right if you see me as a woman that's right which so to me they someone son felt very non binary or ex gender coded because I, I I definitely read someone son as Kamatani's kind of wish fulfillment insert <laughs> which I'm cool with but yeah. <laughs> so like I was just automatically reading oh so you're ace and you're ex gender all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, Jackie, correct me if I'm wrong here. Um, X gender is kind of a catch-all for both non-binary and agender. Where again, in English, the sort of subtle difference there would be non-binary is you very strongly feel that you are neither, and X and um, agender you don't have a strong feeling one way or the other. Would that be about right? X gender yeah, kind of covers both. Yeah, I think both? so. And mm-hmm. so, as far as someone's son goes, I feel they're definitely like an agender. You know, based on how they. We're trying to say, well, maybe I'm not anyone at all, right? So yeah, I know you like, I know you don't like to get 
super personal on the yeah. podcast and stuff, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I know it, it has been your long, long trial to have, well, you've, you've got, uh, you, you've got Yakumo, and you have the nice boy from My Love Story, and that's Suna. kind of it for Ace they're characters. Both, they're both very implicit. Um, this is my first explicitly Ace character in uh, manga, and as close to explicitly agender, which is pretty cool, too. Like, I, I like mm. that. Um, like, they use she, her throughout, and again, I feel pretty confident because I know Seven Seas, the translators checked with, like, um, The Land of the Lustrous. They checked with, oh my god, I'm blanking on the author's name. Vry, help me! Ichikawa. Ichikawa. I know they checked with Ichikawa to see what pronouns um, she wanted them to use for the gems. So I would assume there was a check here with someone son and Kamatani said, "Yeah, she hers good." Um, so I'm not gonna mm. I'm not gonna get on the translator for that. Like that seems like an mm. okay choice. Um, but I do like that the character doesn't seem to particularly give a crap one way or the other. Uh, that's kind of nice. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, so uh, someone son is explicitly asexual, probably aromantic. Um, my biggest, the thing I really like about, um, because someone and I are like, we're not similar, like we're very different characters and that's fine. Cause I don't expect every asexual character to be exactly, um, like me. Um, but it's cool to have a character be explicit about it. And I really, really like that scene where Tasku's talking to someone and someone kind of talks about like, yeah, I'm just not sure I want to, like, I kind of want to be transparent and not really connect closely with anyone, which is bullshit by the way but we'll get back to that in a minute but Tosku has that line that's like oh so I, I had a hard time understanding why you didn't really want to connect with anybody but if you're ace then that totally makes sense and someone looks him dead in the eye and is like no those two things are unrelated like I'm my own person me being ace doesn't have anything to do with my like also desire to sort of like maintain keep keep kind of at arm's length from other people um, and that was huge for me because my biggest concern with someone was that in some ways there aren't a lot of ace stereotypes because there aren't a lot of ace characters. But um, the one that you do tend to come up across is like, oh, they're very cold and antisocial and don't necessarily like like people. Um, and that is extremely not me. So I was really worried the series was leaning that way. And I was going to be like, I can't be mad at you, Kamatani, if that's the way you feel. But please don't try to lump us all under one umbrella like that. Um, mm -hmm. So I really liked that the series, again, throughout the series, I think it does a really good job with every character of being like, and please don't think that this character is representative of every single person who is gay or trans or ace or what have you. Um, like, these are individuals who also happen to be this this. Um, this part of this queer community as well. Um, so I really like that about someone. Um, mm. The fact that they're literally, ma I, I don't want to say literally magic. Um, I think there's a lot of imagery. There's a lot of imagery used in this series, right? Like, like Tusky's chest isn't literally shattering in volume one. And like the fish aren't literally flying around Misora and things like that. Um, mm. So I'm not sure if someone is intended to be like literally um, flying across rooftops and things, or if that's just supposed to be part of their, her character um being sort of this ephemeral form that doesn't quite connect with that that tries to kind of keep this mysterious aura about themselves um that was my reading of her as well okay uh, so i was kind of surprised like oh literally the ace character is magic and i'm like what <laughs> <laughs> like the, the the cloud imagery just got so overt at the end for a minute i was like are, are we are we doing some fabulism, Kamatani? I'm like, well, I'm cool with that. Well, and I know Kamatani has, um, uh, sh they, sorry, they have another series in, um, that hasn't been brought to the U.S. Um, that is, 
I'm probably going to mess up the premise of this exactly, but it's it's got a lot of Buddhist undertones, and it's about like a bodhisattva merging with a human, and that character also doesn't have a gender. So I know Kamatani has some interest in like Buddhist mythology and um, and religious beliefs and theology and things like that. And I mean, one of the things that does come out of Buddhism is um, you move away from those attach those like attachments, right? Like being free mm-hmm. of attachments. Um, and so that also refers to lust, but also like, you know, um, sort of unhealthy emotional connections. And so, and there is definitely some stuff in Buddhist mythology about how like once you reach a certain point of enlightenment, you can fly and jump super far distances. And like, that's, again, that's not as much in the theology, that's more in some of the more mythological um, elements of it, but it's there. Um, and so with someone son, I read a little bit of that into this, maybe this little wink about, um, oh yeah, well, sh- uh, she's closer to enlightenment, which okay. I do, I have to admit, I do kind of appreciate that. No, that's, that's awesome. It's, although, like you said, it is kind of bullshit that someone, like someone doesn't want friends or doesn't care about the people in the drop-in center. She does though, right? I mean, <laughs> she, she does. definitely does. I feel like she the does. whole, the whole point of the, of the final volume and like, um, Chico's partner, uh, Seichiro in the hospital, like someone spends that entire volume, like kind of low key checking up on Chico and being worried about Seichiro and starts making cafe au lats for everybody. Cafe au late? I'm pronouncing cafe that ole. wrong. Okay. Ale. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, starts making those for everybody in the drop-in center as a way of kind of reaching out and forming more of a bond with them because she's clearly thinking about this person who's important to her who is dying um and i love how much of this series is subtextual but i think you get a lot of that in that final volume of like and this i do feel very strongly and i do like that someone um someone's character kind of verbalizes this this sense of like When people talk, like like when she meets Seichiro and Chaiko, she talks about. God, I'm talking a lot. I'm sorry, guys. No, I'll, no, I'll keep turn talking. The floor over to you Go guys ahead. in a minute. Um, but when she meets Seichiro and Chaiko, she's like, um, she asks if they're a couple, and they're like, "Well, do we seem like one?" She's like, "Well, not really, but in this world, it just seems like when two people are paired together, that's the assumption." Um, and like her, um, her kind of pushback against being labeled. And this idea of like, well, when you form a bond with somebody, there's an expectation that it will also be romantic, and that's not necessarily my, th- or sexual, whichever, you know, I mean, one, other, or both, uh, depending upon who you are. Mm. Um, and so I do, I do ping, I do resonate a little bit with someone's sense of like, I don't want people to get the wrong idea, so maybe it's better if I just sort of fade into the background and don't form those close connections in the first place. Um, but I do like that there's a lot of subtext in the last half of that final volume where it's like, well, no, someone clearly cares about the people at this drop-in center. Like, here are these little signs that, you know, they won't, they won't necessarily vocalize it, but it's absolutely there. Uh, the only other Kamatani manga that's available in English, uh, Nabari no O, has very much that kind of feel that, like, you've talked about really vibing with and stuff like Pandora Hearts, where it's about all of these characters of, of, of different genders having like really important bonds to each other that aren't necessarily mm-hmm. labeled like that. Um, which Nabari no O wasn't for me just cause I don't like ninja stories, but I feel like if you want, if you listeners, if you wanted something like something like this, that's a little less intense and more of a fantasy story, it's good. The characters are good. And also one of the leads is intersex, which is, you know, cool. Um, in the first volume, you know, um, someone's on, says to you know Tasuku also to um uh what's her name I'm sorry um Hanako um uh, Haruko um, Haruka yeah oh oh Haruko 
Haru. Ka? Haru. She just goes by Haru for Haru. almost the entire series, so right, I can't right, remember right. if it's Haruko or Haruka. But yeah, I believe, I it's, believe Haruko. it's Haruko. Yeah. Anyway, um, you know, she, uh, someone's son says like, "Oh, you can say whatever. I won't be listening." But the fact that she offers that, you know, opportunity to talk, <clears throat> talk by itself is sort of a sign that she's paying attention to the people around her. Mm-hmm. She's capable, and you know, is knowledgeable or cares enough about other people around her to want to at least give them the opportunity to figure out their shit. Yeah. And she will like kind of talk back at the moments when people maybe need it. Like she definitely gives Tosku and especially Tsubaki some pushes uh, here and there just by asking questions um, that maybe other people haven't. Um, And I think the fact that she forms the call-in center in the first place uh, says a lot about her as a character that, like, you know, she's never really felt like she belonged anywhere. And so then she kind of just creates this space where other people who have felt similarly can come together and just uh, have a supportive community and figure their shit out. Um, You know, that again, that safe space that we we touched on a little bit here and there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Chiaki, you mentioned that you really wanted to talk about, like, the city itself. So... The drop-in center, um, I believe, is actually modeled after a uh, town, ho- a house on the top of a hill in Onomichi. Actually, mm-hmm. um, the if I'm not sure if it's mentioned in the English volumes of the manga, but the Nekoshukai, the the nonprofit that you know remodels ho- old homes, actually exists uh, by a different name in um, Onomichi, uh, called um, the Onomichi Abandoned Property Rehabilitation Organization or something like that. Yeah, I think in English um, they translate it to Cat Clutter. Sorry, continue. Cat Clutter? Just, just yeah, Cat Clutter. Yeah, Cat Clutter. That's good. Yeah, it's cute. Um, so yeah, no, that actually is a nonprofit thing that they do. They're, you know, um, So Kamatani's definitely done research as far as the the town, the city of Onomichi and what you know what's kind of going on around there. Um, it, I'm not sure if you know, but Kamatani actually lives in the town right next door, um, Fukuyama. And that's why there's like that sort of closeness to this, um, interesting city. I've actually been to Onomichi back, oh, cool. yeah, back 2008 or so before this, uh, comic was ever, you know, conceived, but it's a really beautiful town. And I think part of what this comic wants to do is drive interest in Onomichi, which I think, you know, a lot of manga and anime today have have those things like, you know, Zombie Mind Saga, which is all about promoting saga. Uh, Yudu Camp is um, currently, you know, uh, Room Camp is trying to promote Yamanashi. And um, just as much our our Dreams at Dusk is all about kind of laying bare queer identity and issues it also it's also about telling people hey come to onomichi which is actually kind of cool <laughs> oh it definitely is like and in between each volume in between each chapter sorry um yeah there will be these little like mini comics that will talk about like different foods and places you can visit in onomichi and like so reading this like not only did i have my heart ripped out a few times but i went i kind of want to go to onomichi now <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> well, well like, done Kamatani. Kamatani. yeah exactly <laughs> but like it's it's such a town in the boonies that it's when i when i went there back in 2008 uh it was probably at the height of sort of the the 
what do you call it? The complete, the town was in a rough shape. Uh, everyone's moved to the cities. It's, you know, the train station only had like one train every 40 minutes. Um, in Japan, that's ridiculous, technically. Yeah, no, that's um, a long time. Yeah. Um, and only local trains stopped there. Uh, the downtown had a lot of shuttered, you know, businesses. Mm -hmm. And I got on my cab to get to my hotel, and the cab driver was like, so why the heck are you even here? <laughs> <laughs> Harsh. Yeah. Yeah, so that's 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 interesting that uh, Kamatani chose to specifically set it in sort of a small town rather than... Because um, I think with a lot of, especially in the U.S., I think with a lot of stories about queer characters, they're usually set in, like, the big, you know, cities that we like to fancy are, like, super progressive, you mm. know. I mean, n most, most American television shows don't exist outside of the coasts, but I digress. Um, mm -hmm. So that's that's mm -hmm. that's a that's a um, a cool choice of hers, I think, to settle it in this this town that's maybe a little bit further off the beaten path. And I mean, Jackie, obviously, you've spent oh, way more time in Japan than either Vry or I have. Um, I've never been. Yeah, and I was like two weeks, so um, mm -hmm. and are more and are more um, <laughs> are more up to speed on um, like actual Japanese speaking um, LGBT community type forums and things. Um, how does the series sort of match to those sort of real life experiences? Because this was written like very recently. It finished up like within the last year, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, so, yeah, it finished up 2018. Yeah. Um, I feel so. There's that sort of urban versus rural um, context of LGBT people anywhere, oh, absolutely. Yeah. right? And in Japan, by urban, that means generally Tokyo. Everyone <laughs> goes. Everyone just goes to Tokyo. Um, yeah. Otherwise, you know, for me, I'm I'm a Kansai kid, so mm -hmm. you know, Kyoto and Osaka also pretty big cities, so a little yeah. bit more progressive, a little bit more, you know, a bigger gathering of people. But the rest of the country is pretty rural, um, and you get that sense that people are pretty um, conservative out there because you know they're it's the land of tradition and in japan kind of eats that up by itself you know it's all about oh well we're not tokyo we, we don't have all this newfangled leds everywhere but we do have this 200 300 year old sake brewery and that's our town's thing that's all we have but gosh darn it we're gonna promote it um and at the same time that spells out that people are pretty hard you know hard set in their ways you know maybe they don't accept um lgbt people as much but i feel like there's considerable leeway and um people can be accepting in the most surprising ways kind of like uh saki's father mm -hmm. who yeah who you know who presents homophobic you know um feelings but then immediately takes it back realizing like oh wait that's actually really bad um you know it's more he was angry at the fact that his daughter was outed by this random guy and kind of flared up with this gut reaction before realizing no no hold on i i just said something terrible or i just thought something really terrible 
I, you know, I love my daughter and I want her to be happy. Like, I feel that's a very good read of rural Japanese people who might, you know, who might appear fairly conservative, but at the same time, more open than you think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I do like that a lot of the, um, again, most of the, a lot of the aggression in this series is microaggressions. And a lot of it comes from people just genuinely seeming to just not know what they're talking about Mm -hmm. at all. Right. Like there's, there's very much a sense of a lack of, um, um, it's that, it's that sense of like, have you ever even met a gay person? Um, I love that moment where, um, (laughs) Tsubaki's dad is talking to uh, uh, Haru, Haruko. Haruko, yes, we. Mm-hmm. I, I did look it up in the in the meantime. It is Haruko, mm-hmm. um, and is talking about the drop-in center and makes some comment about like, uh, well, I don't want this to turn into like a hookup place or anything. Ha ha ha! And she snaps at him like, you know, we're not just a bunch of horny zombies who only think about sex twenty-four-seven, right? Like we're people mm-hmm. living our damn lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I I love that she doesn't put up with shit. She's very good. Haruko's um, so good. Yeah, um, but I and and then and then pretty much anytime somebody confronts him, he kind of has that moment like Saki's dad has, where he's like, "Oh, I didn't. Sorry, didn't actually mean anything by it. But you're right. That was a shitty thing for me to say." Um, like when Tosuke's like, "Hey, BT Dubs, I'm gay. What do you think of that, dude?" And he just sort of apologizes and runs. Um, I yeah, I think that speaks, and it's interesting to me because again, like I mean, obviously this is. Obviously, the specifics of, of every culture are different, and that is very, very important to take into account. Like, like the homophobia in Japan, like where that comes from, is very different from the, from the U.S. Um, but it is in many ways um, reminiscent to me of, of some folks I know in the Midwest who have those moments of like, uh, we'll say something like accidentally hurtful, and then you kind of call them out on there like, oh, shit, yeah, sorry, you're right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, 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 it vibes with, and again, this is this was... 10 odd years ago but it vibes with my college experience a lot as well I think so um, I do like that Kamatani will call that shit out but then sort of give people leeway to be human and apologize and grow from those moments which is where the hopefulness of the series comes from I think mm-hmm. yeah yeah. finding out that this takes place in like a real small town really clicks into place why so much of it vibed for me in terms of like my own experience growing up like in Wyoming I you know my hometown is like 50,000 people maybe and it's one of the biggest towns in the state um but like the the scene with that you mentioned with with Saki's dad particularly because like she's she worries about this for the whole manga and it like causes tension in her relationship with Haruko because Haruko is out and Sachi um and, and Saki isn't because she's worried about her parents and then ultimately it all kind of comes out and and it works out okay and like it just makes me think of like you know when my you know like my mom as a kid working with like uh AIDS patients in the hospital and like doing her best to work with them but like talking about them in like this pitying kind of condescending way and that but then like after I came out she's worked maybe harder than anybody at like being good and supportive and remembering pronouns and she's like this 65 year like year old woman and it's it's one of those things where it's like this manga is so much about not political change not wide social cultural change but how even if it's small how important those little moments of like individuals trying can be and it gets you right in the heart 
Yeah, the yeah. I mean the the idea of like acceptance and communication and understanding like, you know, maybe I won't 100% understand you, but I can still um, you know, accept you for who you are and and attempt to make those understandings cuz you know, Tosku kind of says to someone like, I do not understand asexuality at all, but um I don't want to lose sight of you as another human being. Um and that's such an important first step. Um and I do really like the way the series deals with that sorry Chucky, you were gonna say something no um i i feel i, I just wanted to go back a little bit about Tsubaki's dad um mm-hmm. he's also a pretty common character i think as far as you know a guy who's just not meaning anything bad but he's just kind of a dick about everything <laughs> yeah he really is that's mm-hmm. a very familiar um uh kind of dad that I am very close to knowing. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll say no more. (laughs) No more was said that day. Uh, No, yeah, I I, I, I do. It's sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I I feel so sorry for Tsubaki having to go home later that day to face his dad because like, man, I can I can see that conversation going already yeah. yeah i i i don't get the sense his dad's gonna be the kind of person who like if he does eventually come out because i think that it's probably fair to say tsubaki's probably somewhere on the queer spectrum um mm-hmm. whether mm-hmm. he's bi or even ace um some again like his interest with someone made me wonder if maybe he was like romantically attracted to people but maybe asexual anyway what mm-hmm. however tsubaki ends up identifying um I don't get the sense his dad's going to kick him out, but it is going to be a very difficult conversation, uh, more so than I think what Saki had with her parents. Yeah. So, but I do like that there's there's that sense of hope with pretty much every character, and the the way the series kind of connects past and present with um, uh, Haru and Saki have their wedding, and then you have the story of Chaiko and Seichiro, uh, which sort of destroyed happening. me. Yes, that's <laughs> the part where I cried. <laughs> me too. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I didn't cry. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, you didn't but... cry at Princess Tutu. It, you you have a heart of steel <laughs> and iron. You're so strong, Chiaki. You're so strong. Um, but yeah, I think that that juxtaposition of you know they're um, they're able to get married, and then Seichiro and Chaiko kind of talk about like, well, it was different for us, but it's good to see that you know things are there's that sense of like things are moving forward like we had to just be completely in the closet but this new generation feels like they can be more open about it and that's really good um but then they still have that beat at the end with Seichiro's son where he's very accepting of it um at the tail end here and so that again is kind of this note to like the next generation like things are getting better like they're not Mm -hmm. perfect and there's still a lot of work to do obviously but um I like that it that it ends on that note of um sort of moving forward into the future I was thinking while while reading this, like, I go back and forth on how this would look as an anime, because I wonder if it could be as delicate and beautiful as the manga has space to be. It is only four volumes, I guess, so, like, that's an easy core, but... You could do it. You'd need an. You'd need exactly the right director for it, though. I think it's one of those projects where, like, if you didn't name one of, there's like maybe a handful of people who I'd trust with this, and anybody else, I'd be like, oh, probably not. Probably this is gonna go south. Mm. Um, the director but, of the Bloom into You anime, maybe. Honestly, yeah, probably. Um, mm. I see it more like as a good short vignettes, shorts movie. Mm. I was going to say, you could do this as a film too. And truthfully, it's probably more like if they were ever going to animate it, I think it would have 
a better shot of getting made as a movie just based on the 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 content like I know there's been this was a couple years ago and I god I can't remember the interview I'm so sorry folks at home I'm not going to be able to Uh, link to this it it was uh Makoto uh talked to us about and um mentioned when when the I interviewed them about like mental illness stuff in Japan uh I'll I'll get you the link for for when this episode goes. I, okay. Out. Yes, I do. I know I know where you mean and yes, that was what it was. So we'll we'll link to it in the show notes. Um but uh was talking about how um because with a movie you you know, you paid the ticket price. You're going to sit down and like commit to the whole thing. It's easier to push the envelope in that format um in Japan as opposed to TV shows where it's like once a week and it's there's a committee that kind of picks what gets up and so they're not they're not quite as willing to take some of those risks with the um the subject matter as they might. Although at this point Mappa might cuz Mappa seems pretty down for uh publishing uh some some queer content, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, but, uh, Makoto Kageyama. But yeah, I think there we go. Okay, yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, was kind of talking about that, and so I I could see that with Shimanami as well. But I'm so glad we got the manga in English. Like that, just I'm just so happy this exists and people can read it and I can like show it to people because again, I think it does a really good job of being low key educational, but also very um, true to life and and for the queer community in a way that um, a lot of these these stories that we've gotten in English um, in manga aren't necessarily mm-hmm. um and i really like that about it yeah apparently this was like one of seven c's most requested titles ever so I, I hope it's doing well now that it's actually out it's only four volumes folks so yeah. if you've somehow listened to this whole thing and haven't actually read the manga um it's a it's all out in english and um it's again seven c's very reasonably pr- prices things it's a beautiful edition the the covers are like this really soft material that i like very much um, it's lovely, oh. so I would highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. Hard same. Yeah, it's I I can't recommend this series highly enough. And like I like I said earlier, um, if Kamatani's other work, uh, Nabaru Noah, wasn't really for me, but it was a good series that that like if if you liked this and want some, if you wanted Naruto but a little more gay, then maybe that one's for you. <laughs> I should give that one another try um, at some point for sure. Yeah, the, I, the other hoping... volumes get get better. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, I uh, I'd love it if we could get more of their stuff over here because that that series I mentioned earlier that kind of um, deals with Buddhist mythology uh, just based on the summary sounds pretty great, extremely up my alley. So I uh-huh. would love to see more of their stuff over here. Absolutely. Yeah, I really want to read Shonen Note. That sounds like another painful bucket of feels. Oh, oh yeah, I that's hear the other one. that one's that one's harsh. Is it? I hear, <laughs> I hear. Yeah. Well, maybe someday we'll get it in English and we'll be able to do a podcast on it too, and we can talk about how it also ripped out our hearts, but in a good way, right? <laughs> I hope it's it's about puberty and voices changing. So that's Oof. yeah, yeah. Ooh, yeah. Uh, did was there any? final things that y'all wanted to touch on before we kind of wrap up on this when's the uh anafem onomichi tour uh as soon as we have enough money (laughs) i'll start i'm sure if we get that indiegogo going everybody will pitch right in (laughs) to send the team on vacation Uh, just we'll take a lot of photos Uh, no that would be that would be lovely but probably probably a long distance into the future chiaki i like where your where your brain is at though Mm -hmm. i'm here for it i like this kind of thinking keep it up call me call me anytime (laughs) 
good. All right. Well, I think that about wraps us up. Thank you so much for listening, AnnaFam. Uh, if you liked this episode, you can find more of our stuff on SoundCloud uh, under Chatty AF and on our website at www.animefeminist.com. If you really liked the, what you heard, why not consider tossing a dollar to our Patreon at patreon.com slash animefeminist. That's what helps us pay the bills, pay our contributors, overhead fees, editors, all that fun stuff. Uh, we recently dipped a little bit under our break-even costs, so once we finish getting all of the perks out and whatnot, um, we're hoping to focus in about that. So, like, tell a friend. It's good. Um, you can also find us on social media. We're on Facebook.com slash AnimeFem. We are on Tumblr at AnimeFeminist. And we are on Twitter at AnimeFeminist. As always, we love to hear from you. Uh, and until next time, take care. Bye.